Exodus 14, verse number 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were so afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you took us away here to die in this wilderness. You dealt with us like this just to carry us out of Egypt. Isn't this what we told you while we were there? This is not true. They never said this. Israel's going to make up all kinds of stuff. When they're in trouble, they're going to say, we had a lot of food to eat. We had leeks and onions, they're going to say. We were doing pretty good in Egypt. This is not true. <laughs> not true. You didn't have it better in the world than you did in the church. Anyone who says, boy, life got hard when I got in the church. I'm going to tell you what. You are lost and alone and dying and suffering and going to a devil's hell when you were in the world. But the problem is when you got inside the church and you were saved, you thought that every problem was going to dissolve. Your problems didn't go away, but your answer changed. The questions didn't change, but the answer changed. Oh yeah, we had a lot of money before we start giving our tithes. Really? All your money was rotten and corrupted and the rust and the moth was corrupting all of it until you start giving your tithes and now you're laying up treasures in heaven. Let us alone. Didn't we tell you we'd rather serve the Egyptians, really, than be free? I need, I need to ask this of somebody. You really would rather live in the world bound, afflicted, corrupted, addicted, rejected, accepted by people who don't love you than to be in the church and be free? You'd rather be bound up? It'd been better for us to serve the Egyptians. No, it wouldn't. It'd be better for you to die in the wilderness and be free. It'd be better for you to die right in the church and be free than be in the world and be bound. David said, I'd rather be in the house of God than to be in the tents of wickedness. I'm still not there, brother, but keep on, push a bunch of buttons. We're going to pray. And then we're going to seek the Lord. He's going to speak to us. So lift up your hearts and your hands. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Do your work, Lord. Do your work, Lord. Do your work, Lord. Do your work, Lord, Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, I've got to preach the word, but I need somebody to help me preach here today. Now, I, I've got to, somebody's going to help to help me here today.
I know the Lord's with us, but I, I wish the saints would be with me too. Thank you. You may be seated. In a whirlwind of events, coupling shock and awe, Israel escapes Egypt. We read from these black and white pages, but it was more than just an account. It was the turn of history. It was the day when Abraham's seed was reconciled before a grieving Pharaoh who himself was pressed by those mystical hands of Moses. Pharaoh. He could outline the image of Moses standing before him demanding the same trite request. Let my people go. This Israelite man was unusually powerful as he commanded plagues through the power of the one unseen. None of it could be managed by the minds of men. Plagues falling from the sky on the land of Egypt could not be explained away. Mountains of frogs covering every corner of that land and then lice swarming like a storm cloud descending upon them There were locusts by the millions, stripping the land of any remaining green foliage, boils and thunder and then hail and then darkness to the Egyptians that all came trailing off the outstretched hand of Moses and his rod. No one could picture the invisible God, but they could see Moses. But Pharaoh was an unrelenting ruler Hardened by the will of God and then capitulating, it was a back and forth display that left Egypt in shambles so that by the time the children of Israel left, even the citizens of Egypt bid them good riddance. Our Bible puts it in better view than just a waving of the hand goodbye. Egypt gave away their collective wealth to Israel. God had orchestrated their escape in such a way that not only did his people get out, but they left with possessions of their captors. And thus, your Bible establishes this truth. When God brings us out, he never leaves us empty-handed. Serving the Lord does not come with abandonment. His call always includes his provisions as well. The people left 430 years of slavery. They looked more like investors and merchants than beggars and slaves. God allowed them to collect riches and food and cattle and silk, cloth, gold, and jewels until their carts labored under the heavy weight of it all. But provisions were not sufficient in and of themselves. Rather, God placed Moses as their leader to guide their way. It was an exodus that entailed Provisions, a prophet, and then ultimately a promise. Think of it. They were walking out 
of a lineage of bondage, not a momentary affliction. They were walking away from generational bondage, loaded with provisions, led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, all the while holding on to a promise somewhere in the future of a land filled with milk and honey. And this I know, that generational bondage always demands a prophet with structure to reconstitute the path of the once oppressed. Mm. God was so good. It was more than words could describe. There were no events in their history like unto that day. There were no moments in their past that they could compare. They were witnesses to God's devastating power in those ten horrifying plagues. And they were also privy to his wondrous mercy in their deliverance. They were awestruck by the last plague that culminated in the loss, the death of the firstborn of all living creatures, as they lie motionless on that night of death and deliverance, it moved from a stillness to some chilling terror as an angel moved in and out of homes and across the land, weeping and wailing and mourning in those places. And on that next day, when Pharaoh finally sent word and Moses led them out, the whole scene was a picture not soon forgotten. The psalmist all the prophets, all the people will declare it centuries and centuries and millenniums in the future. Perhaps they look back at their own blood-stained doors, the outline of the empire that they had built with their bleeding hands as they took flight, the whirlwind of emotions. God was on their side and Moses was as bold as a lion leading them to a new home and yet with all of it still fresh in their minds this escape the plagues the sound of loss echoing from the fields homes of the Egyptians the lamb had already filled their stomachs and bellies when they came to the Red Sea a disposition came upon them by choice because disposition is always by design it's always by your own choice what kind of disposition you have. No one makes you have the disposition you have. No one can dictate your disposition. Your attitude and your spirit is what you choose it to be. You are exactly who you want to be today. Your disposition, your spirit, your tenor, your tone is all by your own choice. Your look, your expressions, your smile, your sadness, your bright eyes, your sad look, your boldness, your regression. It's all by your own choice. The disposition is by your design. And when they came to the Red Sea, an unthankful disposition rose up and produced fear. Unthankfulness became the voice of their anger. It seems so small, but it afflicted them, and it does us as well. Of all the things that the leaders of Israel might say, nothing was more damaging than their attack against their leader. Ingratitude took control of their minds like a chain wrapped around their arms. They were but a few steps away from the last miracle of the Lord, 
that no one could explain, and yet none of them could believe for the next step. You see, for many, it really doesn't matter what God did yesterday. Red seas cripple our spirits and cause us to forget our newly found freedom. Implausible crossings always seem to steal our sweetness. And in that moment, they look back to see once again a fuming Pharaoh and his chariots riding hard in the noonday sun to kill them. Billow of dust behind his many chariots. And so Israel took the seat of the unthankful and they began to murmur and complain because a disposition of an unthankful person always produces complaints. But God is so gracious. He moved on Moses to stretch forth his rod. It would be the greatest miracle of their lives. The parting of the Red Sea and the dried out land beneath it. So that both ox and camels and sheep and goats and people and those heavy laden gold filled carts could pass with ease. God made a way out and that alone ought to have caused them to be forever grateful that nothing was impossible with God. That he could do anything. Because he brought them out with plagues and he parted the Red Sea and they walked through and they watched all of Egypt and Pharaoh drowned behind them. It should have been more than enough for them to live their entire lives believing for the impossible. But I stand here to say with great remorse, I lament to say it was temporary. Because a few days later, not having enough water to drink, they began to sip on murmuring again. You see, thankfulness is not just an action. It's a heart decision. It's not just an emotion. It's a conscious choice. And even though Moses led them with all those unspeakable wonders, Israel subsequently, they approached this promised land, even the promised land, even though God gave it to them, All of the things in their past should have given them enough faith, but the promised land did not invoke faith or confidence in God. It didn't bring unity among the people or belief in God's word that he indeed had already given them the land. They didn't take confidence in the leadership of Moses. Even though he had led them out of a lifetime of horror and torment, none of them were born in freedom. Their fathers weren't there. Their grandfathers and great-grandfathers, they all had been born in slavery and in bondage, but rather... Than being grateful, they were unthankful for the provisions and the prophet and indeed the promise. They were unthankful for all three. And it marks not only the blight of their age, but it also marks the end of our age. Unthankfulness, ingratitude, without appreciation. They were holding more provisions in their hands, in the palm of their hands, than they had ever held in their lifetimes. They were all witnesses to inconceivable wonders through God's Powerful spirit clouds. All of it was undeniable proof of an all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent God. Moses stood before them in ways that none had ever stand before them. A mountain was on fire and Moses came down from the mountain. His face glowed like a light bulb. 
After all they had seen, still with all of that, all the miracles, all the wonders, the Bible says that the children of Israel murmured against Moses in Numbers 14 and against Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, wherefore hath the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword, and that our wives and our children should be prey? Wasn't it, would be, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let's just make a captain and let's go back to Egypt. In the height of their hour of deliverance and deliberation, not only did they accuse the Lord of being uncaring, but they also pointed out their view of the misguidance of Moses, and they asked for a new leader, a new captain, to bring us back into bondage. I'm telling you that an unthankful heart and an unthankful spirit will always seek out conflict and a return to the very chains from which they came. There are few things that rival the reproach of an unthankful disposition. It always turns into evil. Goodness always turns into evil. It twists innocence. It'll twist an innocent compliment into division filled with hidden motives. I wonder what they meant by that. The unthankful disposition can take anything precious and pure and stain it with doubt and skepticism. God was not amused. He didn't turn a blind eye. God said, all of those men which have seen my glory and my miracles and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that, re- that provoke me see it. They saw his glory, his miracles, but they didn't hearken to his voice. They held his provisions in their hand and were led by his supernatural spirit, by the greatest prophet of their time. But in the midst of the quandary, they became ungrateful and unthankful of the things which they held and beheld. Please don't think that these people are far removed from all of us or from this generation because the unthankful disposition is very much alive even right now today. Paul is writing to Timothy about the prevailing spirits and conditions of the last days in which we live. Paul, the apostle, wrote about our day. He called this day perilous times. Say it out of your mouth. Perilous times. Say it again. Perilous times. Paul is telling Timothy not only about the issues that will be prevalent among people, but he's also speaking about the qualities of people. He said they will be without natural affection. Let me, just, let me just unpack it a little bit for you. Natural affection is when the guy looks over at the girl. Is that illegal today? I think it might be. Yeah, my grandfather, he, Grandpa Farino, came to prayer meeting one night. He wasn't supposed to be there. My brother was the youth pastor. He said, all the kids are going to pray. We went to the church and prayed. It was like 40 of us. Most of the people in our church were the youth group. Small church made up mostly of the young people. Scott had the prayer meeting. Grandpa showed up. Grandpa Farino showed up at the prayer meeting. We had hard wooden pews. If you knelt down and prayed, kneeling down toward the pew, your voice would echo off the hard surface. My grandpa, my grandfather, Farino, he prayed on the hard pew. We were trying to have prayer meeting. This guy's at a family reunion today. Can't be here. Grandpa said, oh, Jesus, you are so beautiful. I love you, Jesus. 
Jesus, you are beautiful. And look at those angels. That's what he did. Youth prayer was over. We were just whistling at the angels. Hot. (laughs) So you know natural affection. It's when that girl gets butterflies in her stomach because that guy walks by. That's natural affection. Unnatural affection is what we are applauding and lauding today. Perilous times. Paul wrote that they should be despisers of good. He said they will love pleasures more than loving God. They'll be proud. They'll be lovers of their own selves. Covetousness. Unforget. If you got more pictures on your phone of you than of anybody else, we're in trouble. Let me just give you Jeffrey Harpo version, modern day version of the Holy Scripture. Proud selfies. <laughs> Unforgiving, without self control. I am angry. Paul said, 2 Timothy 3, 1, This know also that in last days perilous times shall come. At verse 5, having a form of godliness. What does that mean? He added a word. Paul said in the last days, we, people would become another word. He said, in that same dialogue and list of what perilous times will come, he uses this word, and people will also be unthankful. What? That's simple. In our minds, the unthankful do not match sexual perversions. In our thought, the unthankful could not be equal to proud and rash and people punching holes in cars and doors and the boastful and brutal and liars. But Paul said that they were unthankful. Read your Bible. Our current culture boasts of so much that we have lost understanding of the essentials. We've created a culture of entitlement in the church and it produced a, it has produced a rotting generation of believers. People have forgotten the goodness of the Lord and I stand here just to tell you, you cannot forget the goodness of the Lord if you forget him and the provisions it's a dysfunction that caused many people to walk away in disgust from the great things of God all the while blinded to the provisions and the promise of the Holy Spirit that's in their own life and I stand to say that if God has not done enough for us by now to give us a sense of thankfulness then there's nothing he can do in the future to change our spirits oh There's not going to be another cross. There's not another gospel. There's only one spirit. And if this truth and this doctrine which was once delivered and loved and fought for is not satisfying you today, then nothing in the future is going to change your mind. You're going to have to decide to be thankful and to be grateful. Your disposition is by design. Nobody's making you be sour. No one's making you go down. you got to just lift up your head and say, this is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm alive and I'm thankful that I have the Holy Spirit. When Alexandra was born, we were so happy to have a little girl. And Tammy loved to put lace on her and pink things. We, we decorated her, her room in pink. 
And Pawpaw Jack Simmons went out and bought her a crystal chandelier. God only knows how much that crystal pink chandelier cost him. And we put it up and she had a pink room and lace and crystal chandelier. And what we, we got out of all that was a gravelly voiced, rough, little, aggravated, corn dog toting. She'd get a corn dog in the morning and drag it with her all day long. And she, dog would try to get it. Bianca, our dog would try to get it. And she'd hit that dog one. It'd be going through the mud. She started all of her sentence with, huh? You don't get my corn dog. It didn't matter how much lace we put on her, our pink. She'd drag it. Sometimes she'd have two of them. Huh, we got pictures of her in the mud and, and, and a corn dog in her hand. Half-eaten corn dog. Dog bit part of it. She got the rest of it. She just dragged it around in the mud. Little sand. She oh. Bunker, you don't take my corn dog. <laughs> Tammy Christ said, I wanted a little sweet little baby girl. My sister-in-law, Evelyn, Aunt Evelyn got her on her lap and Evelyn bought her a mood ring. Changes colors, you know, with the heat of your hand, changes colors. You ought not put one of those on. <laughs> and Evelyn said, now, Allie, look what I got you, a mood ring. And when it turns blue, it means it's peaceful. And when it turns blue, it's peaceful in your heart. It's peace. She was making up all kinds of stuff. When it turns red, it means you have love. Love. And when it turns yellow, what was yellow? Uh, it was something. It was yellow. It's like springtime. You want to smile. It's, the, oh, it's something like, I don't know, I'm just making this, but it's like the sun. It's like, and Allie turned to her and said, huh, what color is mad? I'm coming to church. You make me happy, Pastor. I want the songs to make me happy. I'm tired of being aggravated. You make me happy. I want you to put something on so the color looks good. I want somebody to help me because I want to be happy. I'm going to tell you what. You're going to have the disposition you want to have. The church is never going to get better than it is right now. It's never going to get better than it is right now. Because we've come in with our hurts, our hang-ups, our problems, our rejections. And the same people are coming back tonight. They're coming back next Sunday. So if you think, well, maybe they'll get better. you got to get better. No one else is going to get better. My sermons aren't going to get better. My prayer life is not, not going to get better. I can't fast anymore for you. We can't have better songs and better music. And the temperature is not going to get better. What you've got to say is my disposition is by my design. I decided to walk in and worship at be thankful and bless his name. You might as well put on a smile today. You might as well shout a little bit today. You might as well love God a little bit today. It's your choice. Here, pastor, now, 
Unfaithfulness is marking and indeed marring our lives, our families, our marriages, and our church. It's a blight on the entire generation of Pentecostals because we have more than we can use and yet we want more. We are blessed on every side and yet we're finding something to complain about. We have prophecies in this house. We have promises protruding out of every corner of the scripture and among one another and the church is filled with power and music and healing and helping hands and helping people. We are so blessed we can't even contain it all. I know this, that even the most meager homes in this place are wealthy compared to every generation before us and to most of the known world today. We have things we can barely use and cabinets of stuff just collecting dust. We got curio cabinets and upper cabinets. We haven't even seen those dishes in three or four or five years. We shop at Stuff Mart every day. Well, I, I, don't, I don't go there. Yes, you do. On your phone. <laughs> Ooh, Amazon. Mm, pay now. Ding, ding. Who's at the door? Stuff Mart. <laughs> uh-huh. You could probably cut your home in half. And live comfortably if you got rid of all the stuff you don't even know it's there. Oh. I know this it's invasive, isn't it? Isn't the word today invasive? Don't you wish it had snowed another four inches? <laughs> yeah. See, an unthankful heart will make honey and sugar taste bitter and sour. An unthankful spirit will cause and give rise to a murmuring tongue and a complaining word. And people respond, yeah, it was good, except I liked everything, but... Now, I really like the pastor except for... I really love my church except for, you know. Oh, we started, you know, not everyone's perfect. I'm not trying to complain, however. Every time I hear a preface, I always know what they're about to say is opposite from their preface. I'm not trying to put you down or anything. Here it comes, put me down. With all due respect, that means I'm not going to give you any respect. <laughs> I don't want to burst your bubble. <laughs> the pins are out. <laughs> Every t- anytime I hear a preface, I know you're about to say exactly what your preface says you're not going to do. I like you and everything. However, <laughs> no, you don't like me. Because if you really did like me, you didn't even open your mouth to begin with. Uncomfortable pause. (laughs) 
I could ride any train today. I'm so grateful to be in the house of God. I don't care. I don't care what the ringtone is. Come on, we're just going to have, we're going to have church. We're going to have, we're going to love God. I don't know what you came to do. I don't know what you came to do here. I came to praise the Lord. Listen, if your loved one dies right before the service starts, you don't have to come to church. I get it. You don't, it, it, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but it was a witness to me to see brother Foster worshiping God on six at six o'clock one Sunday night when his precious mama passed away at three o'clock. You don't have to come to church, but, it, and, and I'm not saying you should, but I just want to say for Jeff and Casey and for Billy and Dina, their strength is coming from this house and they didn't walk into my office this morning saying, woe is us. They said, we're thankful that our daddy loves the Lord and we're thankful that the Lord is with him and he's with the Lord and we're thankful for the church pastor and we're thankful for the Holy Ghost if there's anybody who ought to be thankful and grateful it should be the people of the most high God hear me most of all the Lord baptized you with his spirit and it provokes me to want to skip into this house and tell everybody about how great God is and how wonderful this gospel is in their life hear me you've got to be thankful that's going to be the deviation and the delineation between you and the world oh course people try to always figure out where fear comes from but i want to tell you where fear comes from according to the bible an unthankful disposition is the fodder of the fire called fear perilous times is not just marking the state of the sinner it's the depiction of the modern day church it's not just declaring the state of the world in the last days. It's revealing the disposition of the people who profess the name of Jesus. Because, because Paul said in the last days that people have, uh, they'll have these things. They'll have a form of godliness. That's the description of people who call themselves believers. The issue is not just with those who do not know the Lord. It's, it's among those who profess they know the Lord. And it leads me to the leprous man in Luke chapter 17. No doubt traveling all of them together as a small colony, both by rule of law and by the constraints of their own disease. Ten of them. Ten of them all confront Jesus. They're a little bit away from him. They're confronting him because they can't get close. They would always tell people. In fact, the leper would always pr pronounce or announce themselves. Leper, leprous, leprous. It was by law they had to do it. They, they even If they had any inkling of compassion for other people, they would call out their infirmity because you couldn't get close to them. It was a, it was a disease that could transfer. Luke writes about the matter when Jesus enters into this very small village and the lepers call to him from afar. In a moment, at the sound of his voice, the Bible says, he sent them on their way and they were cleansed. But a cleansed leper is still not allowed to enter society until he is inspected and approved by the priest. Lepers are a danger to society. And only the final seal of good health had to come by way via the priest in the temple. That's why Jesus said to them, said to them go show yourselves to the priest. All ten of them were healed, all ten. All of them had the same experience, but only one came back to give thanks and praise, and he did so in worship. The Bible says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, Luke 17, 15, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. One gave thanks. One was thankful, and his thankfulness and worship 
gave him something different than just being clean, cleansed. Look at the word. He was cleansed, healed like the others. But because he came back to give thanks, Jesus tells him a new word. Not just you're clean, go your way. Jesus gives him a new word. Luke 17, 19. Arise. Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. They were all cleansed. The white leprosy was gone. Yes, they all had lost skin and fingers and toes and flesh. They were all cleansed and healed. They were all, all cleansed, but they were not all whole. There's a big difference between being healed and being whole. When the one leper came back to worship and thankfulness, Jesus gave him this word, thy faith has made thee whole. Nine were cleansed and healed, but the one was made whole. See, thankfulness, a spirit, a disposition of thankfulness changes the matter of living with what remains to living as if it never was. Not only was he healed of the flesh, eating disease that separated him from his friends and family and every love that he ever had, but thankfulness and worship made him whole. Not only had the disease disappeared from his body like all the other lepers, but when Jesus made him whole, there was never any trace that the leper was ever a leper in the first place. Thankfulness, here pastor, took away the evidence of his past. If you're healed, you can tell people why you're missing these three fingers and part of your ear has fallen off. But if you're whole, no one ever knows that you ever lost anything because he puts it all back together. That's what thankfulness does. It changes your look. It changes your spirit. It changes the way you see people and the way they see you. Hey. I'm going to tell you, God has healed so many people in this house, but your wholeness is a spirit, is a disposition by design. Your wholeness, it comes when you become thankful. Thankfulness in worship it changes not only the moment that we are in, but it also changes the moment that has been. I stand here today to say let the spirit of thankfulness invade this room and our minds and let the words of our mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer because thankfulness is the power that can transform marriages. Thank you, honey, for this dinner. Thank you, honey, for working so hard. Thank you for this home. Honey, I'm so grateful, thankful we have this car. It takes us around. I know it's not the best, but it's getting us where we need to go. Thankfulness will give our children more opportunity than, they, than what they know. The skill can only reach a certain level, but it can never reach higher than a thankful spirit. <laughs> Intelligence can bring you this far, but a person with a thankful heart is always going to go higher than the person who knows more. The goal and the good soil of thankfulness produces love and kindness and mercy and grace. Even the fear of the Lord and respect are rooted in a thankful heart. So I'm giving every person notice who passes along their personal permission for me to have something by saying, Pastor, you deserve it. I want to tell you, I'm giving pause to those words. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve a house or a car or a set of clothes or a tie. I don't deserve a gift card to anything. I don't deserve anything that I have. But I'm grateful. 
because I know I don't deserve it. That notion of deserving is crippling our communities. It's making generational dependence, spiritual dependence. It's causing conflict in, in the way we receive God's blessing. It's causing us to evaluate our tithes and our offerings, wondering why God's not doing what we thought he would do. Deserving people are polarizing the church from the spirit of the Lord. I hope you can hear me with more than just your ears. No one will ever live long enough to pay their dues. The idea that we have a right to anything is keeping us from being whole. It's keeping us from the very promises that are laid before us. This idea that you work so hard, you deserve something, that something should be significant is driving us into the commentary of those that deny the power of God. Maybe that's why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Here are the words of Paul to to the church. It's the words to our church. Do all things, Philippians 2, without murmurings and disputings. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do everything and don't complain about anything. The second uncomfortable pause. What? Everything? You mean everything without murmuring and disputing? What if I don't agree? What if I don't like them? What if I don't want to be in their group? What if we don't have anything in common? You mean like the same Holy Spirit? Isn't the Holy Spirit enough for you to have in common to love one another? Or y'all have to be fishers and hunters. NASCAR people. Really? Everybody's got to be inclusive. Well, we just don't get along. We don't have that much in common. Don't you all have the Holy Ghost? Thank God he's got a lot of different heavens for everybody. You, have, you know, you got the heaven over here for all the golfers. You got the heaven over here for all the guys who have hunting stuff and all the deer heads. Of course, they, they can't die there, so they got to be alive deer. You know, just you shoot them, but no one ever dies. <laughs> Thank God he's got a bunch of different heavens and we can all go to our own personal heaven. Because we just, I'm going to tell you right, if you can't love one another right here and be friends with everybody, hear me, if you can't sit at a table... And eat dinner with any person and every person in this house. You better wonder if if you're going to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb and eat dinner with them there. (laughs) No. You don't all believe that. Thank you, but you don't really, not a few handful, 30, 38%. Here's the next verse. First. Do all things with mur- without murmurs and disputings that ye may be blameless mm. and harmless. Because, you know, people who do this all the time, they harm everybody. They harm, harm, harm. I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they charge that much to go to that thing. I don't, know why, I don't know why we have to have that going on right now. 
I don't know why we have to have all that stuff going on right now. Hurtings, harming people. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine as a light to the world. If the world's ever going to figure out that they need to be in here, they got to know that when they get in here, the church is not going to attack them. You can't come in here looking like that. You can't come in here dressing like that. Hear me. If we got to get the cigarette thing outside the church, let them put the cigarettes out on the parking lot and smash them. But get inside the house of God. Don't you know who you are, ladies and gentlemen? You are the church of the Most High God. You are a light on a hill that should not and cannot be hit. You are shining a light into a very dark world. It's perverse. It's crooked. And you've got to be right. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Instead of touting how holy you think you are, you should just tout how thankful you are. And when people say, I don't know if I can be like you, you say, yes, you can be just like this because I'm not good enough, but he's good. I'm not righteous enough, but he's righteous. And I'm just thankful. Uh-huh. Something ought to separate us from the world. Something ought us to separate us from the world more than just our outward appearance. It should be our spirit. God provided his blessings, his provisions, the Holy Ghost, his glory, miracles, signs, wonders, all the cross with stained blood. He became the lamb and then he gave us ministries that are not our own but they're his but we get to utilize them we have so much in our hands it'd be a shame that in our blessing we might lose the very truth that gave us light but if we would turn our voices back to our savior fall on our face and worship him with a thankful heart hear me now the evidence of our forgiven past will be so obscured in the realm of our thankful spirits wholeness is forever linked to a worship, a heart, a disposition of thankfulness. Hear me today. These things are not rogue writings. The children of Israel did not exist for their own time. The scripture references to them are not there just to fill up spaces in a story form like some benign novel. Their stories are not anomalies selected in some random form, but God authored them and he breathed them. All of it was written for a foretime for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I'm pausing to sing, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. On your way out of Egypt, you were singing it. But when you hit a roadblock, you started complaining. And then he brought them through. And they started singing again. But 72 hours later, they were thirsty and dry. And they couldn't hear God. Standing at Mara, where all the water is bitter. A thankful, a thankful spirit was squeezed out of them like a sponge on a hot day. But there stands a tree. And through the direction of God's man. And the predestined design of the I am that I am. The water was made sweet. 
and now you're happy. It was there all along, but you didn't know it or see it as if God never intended for you to have it. No, he never intended for you to lose. That's why there was a tree in your bitter life. There was a tree on Golgotha's hill. It was there all the while, even while you were lost and sinners. None of it changes the disposition of the heart because miracles won't, here pastor, miracles won't make you more thankful and provisions won't force you to be more grateful. There's never enough stuff or enough wonders or enough clouds or enough fire that can change the way you think, talk, smile, worship, or praise. It's going to have to be a decision by you to decide openly here and now I will have a disposition by my own design. Eleven thirty-eight. Here's my closing. Here's the Bible says. In everything, give thanks. Pastor, I'd really like to know the will of God for my life. I want to set up a meeting with you because I don't know what the will of God. Can you tell me the will of God? I need to know the will. Okay. Let's just have a group meeting right now. Are you ready? Here's our conference meeting. I want to tell you what the will of God. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. He didn't say. Now, when you get content, give thanks. He didn't write. When you get to feeling better, give thanks. He didn't say on the other side of the problem. He said in everything. When you get in it, hey, God, there's a sea in front and an army in back, and it looks like we're trapped and we're going to die. But I just want to say thank you. Doctor just gave us a horrible report. I just want to say thank you, Lord. We've run out of money. We've got some federal workers in here. They haven't been paid for a long time. I like for all my federal workers that haven't been paid for a month, 38 days, 34 days, please stand. Brother Sherman, where is he at? Is he, he's working without pay. Where, where, where is his wife at? Okay, you stand up because you spin it anyway. <laughs> any more? Any more? I know I had three. Four? You got four? Because your husband too? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Okay. I don't want anyone else to stand. Now you're in it. You might get shut out again here. Moment. Here's what I want you to do. Follow me. I I really, wait wait a second, wait a second. I don't even have to provoke provoke them because they've already been doing it. They've already been doing it. But just, would you just give them a little opportunity just to thank God without you doing anything? Just go ahead. Go ahead, Dina. Go, go ahead. There we go. That's right, Ed. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We haven't been paid. We've been working without pay. My husband's right now. Two husbands are working without pay. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. Thank you. Five. Please be seated. I want, I want everyone to stand 
who has a disease, some kind of thing that you've been battling with for a long time. It hasn't been, it hasn't been taken care of. Some kind of, some kind of thing that you've been battling with. It hasn't been, thank you. You've got, thank you. <laughs> I just want you to raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just thank him. Praise him. You're a good God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'm in it. This is the will of God for me. I'm in it. Stay standing. Everybody who has a child, you've been praying for, but they've been lost for a long time, and you don't think there's any way for them to get back, or maybe they're maybe they're still out, but they might. You just stand right now and lift your hands and say, I'm in a problem right now. I'd like for my children to be saved, Lord. And they're far from you, but I want to stand here and give you thanks today. I want everybody to stand. You've got a need in your life. It has not come to pass, but you've been praying for something. I want you to stand up. I want you to lift your hands and say, Lord, it has not happened yet, but I got a need. But I know, Lord, you are good. I'm not praying for my need. I'm not begging you or praying again. I'm not interceding today. All I'm doing is saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. He's a beautiful Savior. He's a gracious God. Lord for the air I'm breathing thank you Lord for the church that you've given thank you Lord for the body of Christ that's represented in this house today thank you Lord for our families and the food and the provisions and the blessing thank you Lord for the Holy Spirit of promise thank you Lord for the glory of heaven the promise that we've been waiting for Here's your disposition by design. No one can dictate it but you. No one can dictate this. You decide now. You decide. You decide. You decide. Put on Christ. Put on the spirit of praise. He'll make the trade for the spirit of heaviness. But it's up to you to put on the garment of praise. He's offering today to take away the spirit of heaviness if you'll put on the garment of praise. (laughs) Ah. Ah. I thank you, Jesus. I just want to pause and say, thank you for healing me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for restoring us, Lord. Mm. 
change your disposition right now. Just change it right now. Just decide you're going to change it right now. Here's your moment to change your disposition. In everything, give thanks. Come on, in everything, give thanks. I'm giving you five minutes right here before I close out the service. Just to escape from your pew. Walk around somewhere and just get up to this altar. Whatever you need to do. Just lift up your hands and your voices and just out of your mouth. If you don't know what else to say, just say, Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for the songs they were singing earlier. Thank you, Lord, for the things you've done. Thank you for blessing me. I want to say thank you, Lord, for telling me the truth. This powerful apostolic truth. Thank you, Lord.